Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the JV Club, and this is Janet Varney. Don't oversell it. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, what you're about to hear is going to blow your mind in such a way you won't be able to go back to your regular life. Hey, everybody. Uh, I am here with the one, the only, Lorraine Newman. Here I am. Hello. Lorraine, Hello, thank you Janet. so much for being here. You're welcome. I uh, want everything in your house. Uh, thank you Am very I not supposed much. to say we're in your no, house? No, you can say. Okay. You, like, I'm afraid someone's going to show up and stalk me. No, no. It's just like, you know, no, we're in a professional recording yeah, studio. Not, what are you talking about? I'll tell you what will give that away right away is if anything happens, it will cause the dog to bark, which That's has true. happened in the past. Okay. Uh, right now, he seems... He's yawning. He's yawning because he is the guardian of our humility. He is the guardian of our humility. There you go. And somehow he has all the grace in the world and yet none of it. All rolled into one dog, one beautiful dog. Um, I'm so glad that you're here. I, we have known each other for a few years now. That's right. Um, I guess we met in just sort of in the comedy world and, um, you came up and did, uh, the comedy festival that I run with Cole and Dave, um, I think that year you were doing celebrity autobiography. That's right. And also totally looped. And you did totally looped. Of course you did. Wow. Totally looped was the first thing I think. I think it was. And that was years and years ago. That was was about cracky. It was a long time ago. (gasps) Oh, we look exactly the same, if not younger. I know. Right. Wonderful. That's great. Um, (laughs) Restalin is a treat. Girls, teenage girls listening to this, you don't need to know what that is. Oh, don't gosh. listen to us. Ignore, ignore, erase, um, erase. Listen, I've got a lot of things to cover, but I, I, I think I would be remiss if I did not comment on your Wikipedia page because it just made me laugh that while no mention whatsoever was made about your parents, there is a note on there right up top uh, that know. says you're the granddaughter of a Jewish cattle rancher from Arizona. I know. Who writes that stuff? I don't it know. Is, it is really, um, when you think about the fact that it's it's made up of contributions yeah. of strangers. People can say anything. Yeah. I guess my question is, is that true? Yes, it is. You know, I'm from Arizona. Are you really? But I'm neither Jewish nor a cattle rancher. I know. I could tell by looking. Hello. The dog hello, just Scott. made a needy sound and is forcing Lorraine to divide her attention. Cute dog attention. I love it. Um, so, so my my uh, dad actually was born in Los Angeles in 1916, but um, the family moved to Arizona because his my dad's grandpa was mm-hmm. a cattle merchant, so they were cattle merchants and this really is in sort of the turn of the century like people still were yeah. doing a lot of horseback riding a lot of people think of arizona as still being like that because stuff is shot in old tucson and yeah you well, hear that there but still it's, are it's, and there, there are yeah and there are but like i'm not cool enough to have you know i think i rode a horse three times in my childhood and was almost thrown and that ma- oh, made it gnarly yeah less but interesting. we have pictures of grandpa on his horse and dad on a horse and yeah, that was their deal. A Jewish 
Jewish cattle rancher from Arizona. Yeah, my grandpa was sheriff of the town they were in. I and love it. What town was it? It was Chloride. Which, oh my gosh, yeah. Oh, you know Chloride? Oh, I do because my dad, I should have said, my dad writes books about ghost towns and mining camps. Yeah. And so he has a book called Arizona's Best Ghost Towns. And yeah, Chloride because is, it doesn't exist anymore yeah, to my knowledge. It's a ghost town. Well, I'll be darned. Yeah. You oh my gosh, my dad would love on so many levels to meet you because he's also a huge fan. But now oh, wow. that he could discuss chloride with you. That's so cool. He'd talk your ear off. Well, that's all I can, you know, venture. Yeah. Just the name. The listening. He that's would all say, I got. I know what you're talking about. And then he would continue telling you stories. But you, I'd you, love to hear it. Wow. Um, maybe I'll get you a copy of his book. I'd I'll love to see it. sign it right it. over to you. Yeah. Um, well, that's okay. So that's cool. But yeah, other otherwise, you are a, a true, verifiable uh, Los Angelino. That's right. Well, since my dad was born here, I'm second generation. Yeah. Yeah. You really are. And you went to Beverly Hills High. I did. Well, I started out in Westwood. Mm-hmm. So I went to uh, Warner Avenue School. Mm-hmm. And then when my brother and I were 11, we moved to uh, Beverly Hills. So it was kind of like going from Mayberry to hell. <laughs> and I'm going to backtrack uh, just a few words. And your brother and you are, were 11, meaning you're a twin. Yes, we're twins. I yes. mean, I'm excited. Yeah, that's another <laughs> reason I'm excited because I'm, you're the first twin that I've had on the show. Oh, really? And I feel like that obviously is such a specific experience, both in childhood, but also what we're kind of focusing on, which is adolescence in your 20s, um, particularly in high school. I want to get into that a little bit just through identity. I guess it's different that than if, if you were a twin sister. Maybe mm-hmm. the identity stuff would be more of an issue. Yeah, it, um, I think it's a lot more interesting when it's same sex. But still, it had a profound impact on my life. I look forward to the less interesting conversation that we'll be having about you <laughs> and okay. your Okay, <brother. laughs> coming up. Uh, and, you, and then you two are the youngest of four kids. That's that right. right. Yeah. Oh, uh, you are well, too? Well, I guess you, no, I'm not. Oh. I'm an only child. Oh, that old song. That's a that old performer there's song. There's an interesting uh, pathology. I shouldn't mm-hmm. say pathology, but that's okay. It makes me sound crazy, and I appreciate that. No, no. I uh, actually, our 16 year old is now getting to have that experience since her yeah. sister's away at college. Oh, yeah. We're just slobbering all over her. Uh, well, that is just she enjoying it, or is she, she like? She's uh, yeah. It's like quit it. Come on, quit it. <laughs> oh, come in my way. Right. I'm quit it. I'm a princess. Um, that's exactly yeah, what it is. Fantastic. And I want to talk about that also because obviously you have, um, you're also my first guest who has, uh, teens of your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I am excited to talk about that too. So, uh, when you were a teen at, at Beverly Hills high and you and your brother, whose name is Paul Newman. Oh my, that yes. comes as a surprise. Yes. That might've gotten confusing. It was, you know, it was so peculiar to me that um we would get calls you know because we were listed uh-huh and we, we and this was really astonishing when i think about it now but we had our own phone numbers because we had our own phones oh you did yeah which was That's kind of when schmancy. i think about it because my kids don't have their well yeah. they do they have their own cell phones now that i, I had my it. own line when i was a teen my dad uh my dad gave me the gift of my own telephone line which i think was more just to keep myself and my phone calls out of his hair exactly but everybody wins right everybody wins. but we were listed yeah so we'd get these calls from all over the country and i remember thinking did they really think that paul newman would be listed <laughs> i just didn't understand it that is um but people do yeah i guess side note gary shandling's mom is listed and i crank called her when i was a teenager not because 
I wanted to pull a prank on her, but it wasn't long distance. (laughs) It was local. It was local. But I, but it wasn't, I guess it's not a crank call when you really do want to talk to someone because I really, but I mean, I knew like, who am I to be calling for Gary Shandling? And so um, it was a friend of mine and I who were huge Gary Shandling Did you Shandling think he fans. was still living at home? We called him, we called him and, and obviously we knew that, but we thought, what if he's in town? Or maybe just this isn't oh, his wow. mom. Maybe this isn't his mom. And so we called and she answered and she answered. So already we had, I was not a, I was not a prankster and I was not that kind of kid. So when she answered, it became real and we had not planned that far out in advance, oh, even wow. just to her answering the phone. And we said, and, and so I didn't, and he didn't, my friend who was on the other line did not help in any way. He was just dead silent. Okay. He was like, hello. Thanks a lot. And I said, hello. And she said, hello. And I said, is Gary there? Oh. And she said, well, you know, he's not in town right now. She was so nice. She was so nice. And I said, I'm sorry to bother you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. My my friend Karen oh. and I, my best friend Karen Greenhouse, when I was in high school, we used to make these elaborate prank calls oh, with would. sound effects. Oh, example, oh. please. Well, there was a popular, uh, I guess, talk show on during the day, the Mike Douglas show. Sure, sure. So, but we, you know, we mixed all sorts of metaphors in the sense that we made it a contest. We'd call people and, you know, tell them that they'd won something. And we were so amped that these people get really excited. <laughs> it's terrible when you think about it. We did the other one, the classic, that old chestnut, where's my mommy? You know, which is these people would be so concerned. Oh. It was terrible. So keen to help. The and we taped child. them. Oh, you did? Yeah, oh, we have a reel to reel. Yeah. You We've had a good, let, I'm going to say it sounds like you had a pretty good, you had a good. We had a lot of fun. You had a good we because did. you had your own phone line. You were able to record your prank calls. Yeah. Did you feel like, I mean, that's a perform. obviously that's a performance. You're already performing. You're performing with Karen mm-hmm. and you guys are, uh, you've got your audience, your unsuspecting. Yes. You know, audience. there we were with, you know, our orange juice can rollers uh-huh. Karen did this thing where she would use milk of magnesia for her acne she would okay. put it on her face which she is the only person to this day I've ever known who has done that so I just want you to imagine that look you know the both of us I also had that body brace for scoliosis oh uh, yeah. getting already into the brace <laughs> stuff oh Great. yeah I so had, were you were you a nerd were you popular oh, I was were you a, a joke yeah. were you I like, was a nerd you I were. was a nerd, but then you know. Here's the thing: I you had were this... a nerd with with cojones because you were making prank calls and stuff. So you That's had some right. confidence. I I did. I, I did have confidence, and I think I I read Sidney Poitier's autobiography, and he said something really interesting about how a, a child gains confidence. And he talked about just he grew up on this island where he was allowed to run three free from the age of like four years old, and he got himself into the most terrifying scrapes where he could have died but he got himself out of it and that how that just kind of you know builds an innate confidence and I would do the same thing I mean I was just you know it was the 50s and the 60s and you were allowed to just you know walk out of the house and run free and do whatever you wanted and I got myself into situations where I could have gotten myself killed you know, and it just as as simple as just climbing a tree, right? Really high, higher than you had any business climbing, and having a fear of heights and not realizing that until you're way too high. 
and then just, you know, crying as you back down because you can't do it any other way. But, you know, back down, but you're facing, I'm not explaining this right. You would always back down. I, I went down like I was going downstairs. Uh-huh. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Which yeah, is not yeah. really the right way to go back down a tree. Yeah, because then you're just looking at where you might fall. Right. Like you have direct contact. But somehow exactly that made where. me feel safer. <laughs> you pretended it was a set of stairs. Yeah. And, you know, I was a thief. I was a terrible thief until the age of nine when I lost my nerve. What but, did you steal? Um, rubber animal erasers. That was my, I had a collection. And I, I mean, I made furniture for them, the whole thing. I had a, just. You were and, an artisan. Yeah, I was an artisan. Bit of a Noah. I was artisan. Uh, yes, I would I would have all their cereal lined up, you know, because the cereal boxes had these miniature pictures of all the other brands that they had, all the other kinds of So I would I just want to point out that uh Janet is laughing silently. Her nostrils wanna, are trembling. I'm trying to be they flare immensely when I'm laughing too hard. I don't I don't want to it's disrupt cute. the story it's with so my cute. gales of laughter, but this is making me laugh. But I would cut out the little boxes of cereals and line it up and make like a little, you know, bedroom for them where they would have their cereal. And I would fold up, you know, uh, Kleenex and tuck it under like it was their bed. Whole deal. I miss them so. <laughs> and good uh, to know, <laughs> it's good to know that the things that you stole, you gave such a wonderful home to. Yes. Uh, did you ever feel any guilt? Like, were you aware? Was there a sense of... I, I, I was. I was a sociopath. Were you- I outgrew it, but I was a socio- sociopath. I did not feel guilty. Yeah. And the one time I got caught, it was because I took an amateur with me. This girl begged me to take her with her with me, and I knew I shouldn't have done it. I mean, there was this voice inside me said, "Don't do it, Lorraine." She's going to ruin the heist. And she got us caught, and I don't know where I got the balls. And I was saying to the sales lady, "We got this at Newberry's, and if you don't believe me, you can just come with us over there and ask the salesperson." Oh, and you, you know, I just was so like convincing you could that have the sold woman let us order. walk away she with did. the thing we stole. You That's know? amazing. And then I said, I'm never going with you again. You, well, clearly, but she totally ruined your whole She ruined con. my gig. Um, yeah. I also did some thieving when I was younger. Um, what did you steal? But I did have, I, I stole, well, I stole some clothes from a Goodwill. Oh, which is like wow. really a dollar, a do- a, an old man's pair of pants. Really? That I would, That's what that I would cuff and wear like because I, I thought it was Annie Hall. Um, oh. uh, but really, like I it, it, and it really wasn't so much about. I mean, I could have because there were good it was Goodwill. First of all, that's terrible, terrible thing to do to an organization. How old were you? This was in like when I was 17. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm, no I'm honestly, kidding. it was like 13, 14. And I just. That's I know still within the realm rush. of not I got under- a rush. I know that I was sort of addicted to the feeling of like, what I'm doing is so bad. But it's not that bad because it was only a dollar for this pair of pants. And I'm going to belt them and <laughs> have like a big, I mean, it, the makeshift ensembles pants. that I wow. put together um, were, I think I thought I, I had an, an amazing ability to convert anything into something fashionable. But Did you really? In retrospect, I I didn't have that ability. I only thought I did. So I looked. I did look very are, clownish. Are there any photos? Of- yeah, I'll see if I can, for this episode, I'll see if I can find a, a photo uh, where I have clearly pegged and cuffed um, a pair of a gentleman's pants. I think I might have also had a vest on. Awesome. A, a gentleman's vest probably wow. didn't match. 
and possibly a beret. (laughs) (laughs) That is so cute. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I want to, I want to kind of take everything we've heard so far and create a little bit more of a portrait of you. I, I see scoliosis brace. Mm -hmm. Did you have to wear that? 23 hours a day. You did. Yeah. The, you only got an hour long break. How long uh, did that? Two and a half years. From what age to what age? 13 to 15 and a half. The golden years. (laughs) But at least I had acne and braces. (laughs) And a big fucking nose. Wait, <laughs> wait, a big effing nose. I'm sorry. You know, this, I, too, I, cursing slips out. And I, I think what I, what I keep saying on this podcast is this is not like a podcast that uh, nobody portends to be one of, uh, I mean, I've had people who dropped out of high school. I've had people like, this okay. is, this All is, right. this is sorry, for real though. people. I don't need to say stuff This like is that. for real people. It's okay. You're absolutely forgiven. Besides, you were talking about a painful memory. You're allowed to throw in an expletive or two when you're talking about wearing a brace for 23 hours out of every day. Yeah. It was, you know, there was another girl in school that had one, too. There were two of us. And she was also a twin. She had a twin sister. That's interesting and strange. Yeah. Um, And so Paul, uh, was was Paul also a nerd or was he? Paul was a surfer. He was one of those kids that got up at like four in the morning. Went to the beach, surfed, and then went to school. He was, a cool, he was the cool twin. He was, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> Paul was, you know, he was an interesting kid. He was one of those kids that would like, my dad called it getting his needle stuck. He would like be fascinated about one subject and that would be all he would talk about. But it would be like spacemen or whirlpools. Uh-huh. He was different. So he, so there was no... I think I was imagining somehow that he would be like, I'm embarrassed of you that you wear a brace and you're my twin sister. Don't tell anyone. We just had a different group of friends. Yeah. Completely. And the school was big enough to where we just hardly ever saw each other. Yeah. And th- there was always this policy of not putting twins in the same class. Oh, interesting. So we never saw each other. Um, and so, but you did have a group of friends despite mm-hmm. the acne and well, the Well, I was a drama nerd. The so the there drama was a real... You know, I had my place there. And then when the brace came off, I had this like trajectory. I resolved that I was going to be popular. I decided I wanted to be popular and I made up my mind and then I achieved it. I I got invited to all the popular parties, but I wasn't mature enough to really like take part in the things that they were doing mm-hmm. you know because they were having sex and you know i was yeah. just i was just happy to be the funny one right you know every party needs a clown who wasn't challenged that way because i just i wasn't ready for any of that stuff yeah so so 13 to 15 you wore the brace and mm-hmm. then you got the brace off and the braces as well the braces, yeah, everything. Um, and you became popular. So that was sort of the second half of high school. You kind of mm-hmm. had a, a different experience than the first half. Right. Um, it's funny because I had jotted down, you know, just like, ask her if she had an embarrassing moment. But I think if you have, were wearing a brace 23 hours of the day for two years, there might have been more than one. And maybe that was just one long embarrassing moment. Or maybe... Yeah, I, I don't ever... Um, Boy, embarrassing moment. I have more like events that were just more uh, like out of Charles Dickens. Oh, like what? You know, I had like the mean PE teacher. 
We had, uh, when I did PE, I, that was when I got my brace off. And I would either Ew, do track you had to take it off or to- swim. And there was a woman who dispensed the, the swimsuits. And she had like, she was within this big cage and she would hold on to my um, brace. But she wasn't there when it was time to leave and I had another class. And the, the office for the PE teachers was right there within this locker room. So I went into the office of one of the teachers in my bra and underpants. I mean, we're all women, oh for fuck's gosh. sake, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I said, I, do you know where, I can't remember the woman's name. Do you know where she is? I have to get in there in my next class. Mrs. Sweet. Oh. That was the PE teacher's name. Mrs. Sweet. How dare she have that name? She's get out of here. Go put some clothes on. You can't walk in here like this. So I come back, I go back, you know, and all my clothes are stretched out and from the brace and they have holes in them because the brace has uh, screws and the screws have like made holes in my clothes. And how visible is the brace to everybody else? It's, 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 it's visible. Yeah. I mean, it has it's bars that go out in front and bars that go back down the back and it has, you know, pads that go here and for here. Sake. And um, bless your heart. So <laughs> I come back and my clothes are you know, they're kind of weird looking. And she says, look at you, you're a mess. And I said, I just need to get into the cage to get my brace. So finally, the woman comes back, I get my brace, and I try to put it on one of the straps breaks, to, you know, to cinch me in. So I go back into the Mrs. Sweet's office, because I need to call my mom. And the phone's right on her desk. I said, the scrap, my strap broke. Do you think I could use your phone? She said, no, you have to use a pay phone, which was all the way on the other side of the swim gym. Our swim gym, by the way, if you ever saw It's a Wonderful Life, the scene where they're dancing on the basketball court and yeah. it opens up to a pool. That's our gym. Okay. Um, but it's like, it's, it's far from where we were and I had to walk all the way and it's inside the gym and it was locked when I got there and I was so late for my next class. Why was she such a horrible bully? I don't know. I do not know, but I was so angry. I was so pissed off. So, you know, that's, I, I wouldn't call that me. embarrassing, but it's it upsetting. shaped me. It's upsetting. Yeah. God. Um, and so, so when you, when did you kind of, and, by the way, if there's, we get to a point where there's anything you're like, I don't want to answer that at all, Varney. Uh, that's totally okay. <laughs> Knock it off, Varney. You can even give me like a like a cross crossing the throat, like you're going to okay. kill me. I'll know that means that you don't want to talk to me, and we can edit it out if we need to. Um, but what? So what was your love life like, both before, like during and post brace? I know you said that you sort of weren't. Well, I ready never for- really had. I was always the guys, you know, the funny friend. Um. When I was like in kindergarten, I had boyfriends, but then kind of after that, I don't know, I just had buddies and, um, not in grade school or anything like that, but in high school, I think I had like for a while, the one gay guy that just did not want to be gay. Uh, we dated for a while and, uh, it's funny. I, my memories of him is smelling like canoe and trident. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he was a great guy, and he's like one of the first people I think that I knew that died from AIDS. Oh, no. Yeah. But um, I didn't really have any boyfriends in high school besides him. 
Okay, so when did the boyfriend stuff start for you? Well, real boyfriend, I think my first boyfriend, I was 19. Okay. And I was working at Fred Siegel. I was managing the upstairs. And um, now did you, you went to CalArts? I went to CalArts for about three months. Oh, okay. Um, so you, I'm, I can only assume that means you got your degree in three months. I didn't like it. I can it. only assume you fast That's right. That's right. Yeah. I was just so That's advanced. What you should tell they couldn't people. teach me anything. Exactly. Uh, yeah, you know, I, it, it's taken me a long time to understand that I just didn't like acting. Mm-hmm. I liked sketch and improv, but I didn't really like acting. It's a whole different thing. It and, is. And being a theater major, if you don't like that, all those pieces and, mm-hmm. and the little cogs and wheels of, of that life can be um, miserable, I think. Yeah. When all I, you want to do is just. I do was funny much stuff. more comfortable writing my own material. Mm-hmm. Um, I was so. It was. There was. A few things theatrically that I could do was other people's material, but you know, if it, if it asked me to do things that emotionally I didn't want to do, yeah, it was so uncomfortable for me, and that's kind of a non-starter. What? Um, so, were you writing stuff for yourself when you were in the groundlings? Oh, um, did well, you? Write I was little, doing, other than the prank calls. Were you writing? I, little I did. For yourself I, and, I just I uh, staged an improv show at, at the high school. And when I was in camp, when I was 11, I would write and perform stuff. So, um, and I think that the prank calls that we did in a way were writing material. Oh, yeah. You were doing sketches. Yeah, I guess. Um, but not real character monologues. I didn't do that until the yeah. Groundlings. And so, okay, so you're working at Fred Siegel, and maybe we can fold in Groundling stuff, because that's got to be coming up somewhere around this time, too, right? It was, yeah. But this guy was kind of hanging around, and it was like... He was, he had that Don Johnson look years before it was <laughs> like hip to be unshaven, but he was an artist, you know, and he was really cute. And that was my first boyfriend, Michael Kelly. Oh, Michael. And so, and so you are working, first of all, Fred Siegel, that's cool. Then you yeah. get a boyfriend, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Groundlings, super cool. Talk yeah. about that. Well, um, I left Cal Arts. Uh, and my sister was in this improv workshop at the time. It was, it was just a workshop and it was being run by Gary Austin. He was the teacher. And so I joined that and it was a lot of interesting people. And I think people you would never think would be in a place like that, like Pat Morita. Oh yeah. Who was, you know, Mr. Miyagi, Mr. Miyagi and Jack Sue, who was a really funny actor he people mostly know him on barney miller Mm -hmm. but he was also in the show called valentine's day which was with tony franciosa and he was kind of like his kind of hip valet Uh and he was always kind of wisecracking and putting down tony franciosa but in a way it was like his grab ass but he's so funny (laughs) and tim matheson Oh, I love Tim Matheson. Yeah, and Valerie Curtin. Oh my gosh, what a great raggle-taggle group. You're absolutely yeah. right. It was just such a strange, you know, uh, confluence of people. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's where I really um, started doing all that. 
And then the groundlings evolved. And then we started, yeah, we started um, doing shows and then decided we had to have a name. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm sure this is in a bajillion places that I didn't see, but how did the name The Groundlings originate? There were two names that were proposed. One, The Groundlings is a Shakespearean term Mm -hmm. for the people who couldn't afford, it's the cheap seats. That's and a then, pretty high, that's a highbrow reference for for a comedy troupe. I'm impressed. I guess, yeah. I do not know who came up with it. There was another ter- uh, name that was the working class, mm-hmm. which I voted for. I was the only one who <laughs> voted for that. <laughs> Everyone else voted the, the Groundlings. Yeah. Well, I like them both. Thanks. I'm going to propose that the Groundlings just now, having been around for as long as they have, consider changing their name. They to the could switch, class. you know. It's not too late. It is. You could still win. You could still it's win possible. this one. It's um, possible. And so, and then Lauren, Mike, and you, I'm sure have, I mean, obviously you've told this story forever, so we don't have to get into it. But I, I do want to get to the SNL thing just quickly enough to say that I, I don't know how old you were when you got SNL, but I was you looked like you were like 16. Well, I worked with Lauren Michaels. more like a little pixie. Oh, well, thank you. Oh, yeah. Lauren Michaels hired me for a Lily Tomlin special from the Groundlings. And then a year later, he came back to see the Groundlings and uh, hired me for SNL from there. And you, that, I mean, that is what I remember of, of your time on SNL. Is like, I just thought... This is what I thought. I thought she looks like she might have been the awkward kid in high school. She looks like she might have, but yet you were so confident and so kind of cocky in a way that I really responded to. And I thought, and this is maybe I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable, but I also thought you were so sexy. I just thought you were so sexy. And I'm sure I'm not the only person to say that, but I just thought. I'm so fascinated at the idea of this of this girl who sort of could easily potentially go the complete opposite direction and just not and and be so s- small and waifish and like your beautiful giant frizzy hair and all of that which my daughter now has my which your daughter does have <laughs> it's oh it's amazing how much she looks like you it's great um and and there you are just strutting your stuff like I just, I just thought that was so hot. I well, really did. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh my gosh. Some things never change. And now you're sitting across the coffee table from me. I'm not going to try to make out with her, you guys. I promise. It's so funny. You know, at that time, I, I came from, you know, what most comedy women come from is like, I'm ugly. And then, you know, you see pictures years and years later. It's like the driver's license photo. It's like, God, I was cute. Great. You know? Why did I waste all that time? <laughs> what, 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 was, yeah. what was I thinking? Yeah. You know. And did you feel, so did you feel by the time you got to SNL and, and in your early 20s, your late teens and your early 20s, once Michael had acquainted you with the ways of love, uh, did know. you feel, did you sort of feel comfortable in your own skin in that way? I think that um, when girls believe that they are unattractive, that that becomes something very precious to them. It becomes a shield. It, um, it sanctions all sorts of surrender Mm. to ambition, to lots of things that ordinarily they would fight, but it keeps them safe. It keeps them safe from expectation and it's hard to let go of that. 
You know, it's, it's hard to let go of it because if you do, then you have to hope. Wow. You know? Yeah. And I never understood that. I've been reading books like, uh, uh, Autobiography of a Face by Lucy, um, last name Greeley Mm -hmm. and this was a girl who had cancer and part of her jaw was removed and um and she does talk about that and it was something that I I realized before I read this book but she's so articulate about it and I've never really heard anybody really talk about how you know people do hold on to that but they hold on to it for ways that you wouldn't expect mm-hmm. for reasons that you wouldn't expect it does make sense it is it's sort of a i mean it's a, it's a direct literal physical representation of i think what we all or many of us commonly have as a sort of fear of success or as a sort of fear of like i i liked i liked being good at the things that i was naturally good at and i really felt like anything I wasn't naturally good at, I was so terrified to fail that I just preferred to be an underachiever. Yeah. I, I sort of preferred people to think, oh, yeah, you if, could, if, you, people... if you tried, you'd be great, but exactly. you're not trying. And then you go, well, good, I don't have to disappoint anybody by trying and then not being great. Or how dare they say that you have the potential, right. you have the ability. No, 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 I don't. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Let me tell you that so that no one else can. I've right. already made the decision for you. It's almost an indignation that you try and take that away from them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So I guess we've established that you didn't necessarily feel like you were a total sex pot. Um, <laughs> that's right. Did you, and, and this, uh, this obviously pertains to sort of us and what we're talking about and deve- developmental stuff. But again, I'm sure it's something that you've been asked to talk about a lot, but, um, where did you, in terms of drugs and alcohol, uh, depending on how open you feel like being, was that something that entered into your world as a teen, um, in high school? Or I started you- using drugs. I never drank, uh-huh. but I started using drugs when I was 14. Uh-huh. And again, you know, <laughs> as the years have gone on, I have uncovered and discarded and, and understood that I had learning disabilities and I felt so shitty about what I didn't understand what was going on with me. I didn't understand why people, I, w- I knew why I was at least as smart as, you know, how come they knew that there was a sign, an assignment given and I didn't hear it? I was looking, I thought I was listening. How did I miss it? You know, how do they have, you know, I mean, I had problems with attention, I had problems with executive functioning. So my learning curve was, you know, forget it. It took me so long to get things that people took in stride. You know, it was, it was, it was maddening to see things be so easy for people that was so hard for me. But I didn't understand what it was about. There was no such thing as learning disabilities when I was going to school. So I just thought I was a loser. And those feelings were unbearable, unbearable. And I'm, I'm sure that if I had had help, you know, with that kind of thing, maybe, you know, I mean, I'm on Adderall now, you know, and I'm on it. It's like I'm on the generic Adderall. So <laughs> the bottle says amphetamine. So you Speed know, freak, yeah. you know that you have learning disabilities. You know that you have ADD when an amphetamine calms you down. You know, it's, it's, it's difficult to talk about because 
you see the faces of people you know, people who are close to you that don't believe it's real because it's been overprescribed. And that's legitimate. I understand that. But it is real. And these learning disabilities can really mess with you, your self-esteem. And it is really painful. And that, I think, is the reason that I took drugs. What? Um, how did they come into your world? Did you... Well, they I know were everywhere. Yeah, I, mean, I know you're talking less about... less than zero. Right, right. I mean, that's, that's such a specific world. Um, were, I know that in retrospect, you sort of are, are able to maybe see some of the motivating factors. At the time, did it feel to you like it was more recreational like did you feel like you were happier than you were you know what i'm saying And it was like oh this is just a fun thing i'm doing or even then were you like i feel like crap but this makes me feel better i well here's the thing i was a good girl i was obedient you know i didn't ditch i didn't smoke i didn't do anything but you know when i first got my period i got terrible cramps so i was given darvon and then someone told me, if you open it up, there's this little pink pill inside that's the pure codeine. And you take that and you'll get high. And here I was, this good kid, you know, this obedient kid that would never dream of doing anything bad. Other than stealing animal erasers when you were Well, in. yeah, that's, that's, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but I outgrew that. You did. But you know, you know what I'm talking yes, about. Yes, absolutely. I wasn't a J.D., Right. Uh, <laughs> Juvenile delinquent. Exactly. Um, but I did that. And once I'd, I had that feeling, it was like, oh, my God, this is it. This takes the pain away. Yeah. This is the first thing that removed me from that terrible feeling. I mean, I felt like I had come home. I had found this thing that was my, it was my precious, you know, I swear (laughs) to God, that's how I felt. Yeah. And it's so hard. I mean, that's, again, one of the things that I, I, I can't try to do on the show is, you know, I'm not saying here, you have to listen to this. This is advice that you have to take because I know when I was a teenager, I, I, I'm hard pressed to think of any adult figure who could have really hit into me deep into my core enough to really, you know, it's not like I didn't have people telling me I shouldn't smoke pot or I shouldn't do LSD or I shouldn't do whatever. I knew it's like, that's a different part of you. You, One part of your brain may know that. And then the rest of you is like, yeah, but whatever. Yeah, but it's fun. But it's fun. And so I don't, I don't, I, this is not the kind of podcast that preaches and says like, and ladies, if you don't let's stop doing this, you're going to die. I can't, say that it's not it wouldn't be fair for me to say that um because the because you know of the experiences i had that shaped me are there things that i would do differently now absolutely everybody is probably going to feel that way or you know but but the idea of this is just it would have been really awesome for me personally as a teenager struggling with that to hear that you who were one of my idols could understand even if it didn't change my behavior it just would have it would have resonated with me and maybe it would have changed it subconsciously in a way that I couldn't even put my finger on. But, um, but I really relate to everything that you said and I really appreciate that you're, that you're so honest about it. And so that, so that continued through high school and kind of, was it just sort of on and off? It was like a regular habit. Drugs from the age of 14 to the age of 35. Yeah. And what, and so, uh, 
the codeine and and then that did that sort of lead to yeah did you do did you do the recreational drugs as well or did you yeah i did you know i tried lsd i didn't like i didn't like psychedelics it was like oh yeah i get this yeah okay i understand right uh right five more hours (laughs) no no kidding god no do the bricks have to look like they're swimming for five more damn it this i've had enough yeah i used i really i did a lot of writing on on stuff like that and it by the way it's all garbage garbage and you know i liked pot but when i was 19 i was sitting in my bedroom and i i had graduated high school i knew i wasn't gonna go to college i hated school as you can well imagine sure and there was like um, my window. There was there were vines on the outside of the house. They were starting to grow over the window, and I had this epiphany. I was stoned, and I had this epiphany where I was, I was thinking, you know, those vines are going to cover my window, and I'll still be sitting here. And that was the last day I smoked pot, <laughs> which for someone who is an addict, you know, is pretty profound. Yeah. But you know, then I went to secretarial school at twenty one. And I found cocaine and we got married. Oh, that was the one because it was cocaine. the one that helped me focus. Well, that's what's very interesting. And that absolutely makes sense. Is the, as, as you're sort of doing your own self-medicating, you're finding out what the, the things that make other people feel wildly different probably made you feel like, oh, I just felt like I was in control. I just felt like I could manage my thoughts. Yeah, but it also silenced the thoughts too yeah. because it made me it made everything else go away because the thoughts were you can't do anything, you know, you, yeah. you're dumb and, you know, uh, you can't figure out what everybody else has figured out and terrible things that your head, your very intelligent head can find ways of saying just the right thing yeah. that uh, will defeat you at every turn. Diabolical, you know. And yet here you were putting together of what has now become legendary comedy troupe and ending up on SNL. Did you feel when that stuff was happening, did you feel present for it or does it, or did you feel, you know what I mean? I was in the process and I was very productive and I wasn't using as much if, if any at that time I had periods where I didn't use drugs at all. Do you feel like there was a correlation between things going well or like, like being in love or anything like that, that had a, a direct impact on your drug use? Yeah. But ultimately I always went back to it, even if things were going well, because it was a compulsion. It, it was really, if I thought about it, then it, it was there. It was in my mind and it was always there and it wasn't going to be satisfied until I addressed it. So it was a compulsion. So when were when so were you diagnosed officially, and when did you when did you switch over from kind of abusively self medicating? I know you said when you were thirty five, but how did that evolve? Was there a time that you were using, but you also had been diagnosed with something and were taking medication to to sort of regulate, or was there a f- oh no switch like you got sober? No, but I then checked you got myself founded. into. <laughs> Sure. Chemical dependency unit at the <laughs> hospital. Yeah. And that was April 28th, 1987. So I've not had any illegal drugs yeah. since then. And then, and was it right after that and during that process of of getting clean for you and stuff that you were no. able to see somebody who was like, let me tell you what's been going on with your brain this whole time. No. No, so that's more it, it's recent. It's been years. Yeah. yeah. It's more recent. So I was still living with a lot of, uh, 
pretty bad feelings. Yeah. But, you know, there's also things about, you know, 12-step programs, for better or for worse, that are really helpful sure. as a way of life. Um, and that, that worked for a while, but, you know, I couldn't sustain that. Once I had kids, you know, I was not going to go to those meetings anymore. Yeah. And, uh, it's hard when you get away from that stuff because it really does work. And even though I would never dream of doing drugs again, it's just because I know what that's about. I have every, everything I needed to learn, I learned. Yeah, you did the work. But it, it's just, you're not sober in your head when you're not in the program or whatever you want to call it. You're just not well in the head. How So that brings us, obviously, to you having daughters. And, and of course, you have to. Uh, Lena is She'll be 20, 20 in August. And Hannah is 16. 16. Yeah. Um, how, do, I mean, obviously, just based on everything that we've talked about, you're so connected. You obviously still have a very strong oh, connection to your there, but to your teenagerhood and to your own adult i mean to your adolescence and to the stuff that you because i never grew up how hard has it been or how easy has it been for you to relate to them because you don't want them to make similar choices that might make them unhappy versus kind of you know letting them make their own choices because you know they're going to anyway like what's that well, been like the thing is my husband and I have both told the kids, your brain does not stop growing till you're 23. This is a scientific fact. As long as you're in, we want you to let your brain grow as much as possible, and drugs will not do that. They will stunt the growth of your brain. That is also a fact. I said to my daughters, there is not a drug you can do or a lie you can tell that I have not done and told. I will know. So... We will drug test you if we have to. It is a zero tolerance policy in our house because you need to have a chance. You need a chance. Um, it may not seem fair, but that's how it has to be. Yeah. But um, you do have a great connection with your daughters from what, they, at least from what you and I have talked about and the stuff that you've they done are together. They're so great. And, you know, um, when I was a teenager, I loved music, and L.A. was a great place to grow up for music. You know, what is now the improv was a club called the Ash Grove, and you could see all the great blues acts, you know, uh, Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf, Taj Mahal. I mean, everybody you saw in that movie, um, what was it, Cadillac Man or not Cadillac Man, it was uh, Cadillac Records. Records yeah. Every act in that movie I saw. Etta James. I've seen all those people that live. That's awesome. And, um, you know, I've seen the Beatles. I've seen the Stones. I've seen everybody. And I would go to lengths to see all these acts. Well, my older daughter is the same way. She's just, and her taste is so fantastic. And at the age of 14, she was starting to make, you know, mixes for everybody in school. And so we would listen to... I think it was 103.1, which is now gone. Right, right. But that's when we first heard about Coachella. And it was just, oh, God, it just set me on fire in terms of discovering new music. Yeah. And um, you have excellent taste in music. Oh, thank you. Well, um, now I'm crazy about Skrillex. I mm -hmm. love Skrillex so much. <laughs> oh, my God. I love dubstep so much. Yeah. You're oh. awesome. 
Thanks. And I feel like an old lady because I'm like, yeah, I'm, I don't really know that much about dubstep yet. Um, I'm still <laughs> just like, you know, living in my world of like, I think I'm cool because I know about college bands. But, uh, <laughs> well, you know, I don't know what to say about that. It's just that, you know, it's it's a matter of taste. You know, if you're exposed to it. I think also when you go to Coachella, you're exposed to these bands live. Yeah. But I, I'm just like a teenager in the sense that I have to hear a song for three seconds to know whether I like it or not. Yeah. And if I see a lineup there and I was like, I don't recognize any of these names, I'll just like click on them. It takes you directly to a link to their website. And you can, you know, they just have like their most popular songs. It's really easy. And you can just click on it and listen to a song and you'll know. And you're easily, you're a fan right away or you're not and you move on. Yeah. And that's how I discovered the new bands. But the first band that she took me, well, she took me because I had to take her, (laughs) the Echoplex, which I'm telling you, you know, in 2000, and I don't know what to tell you, it was 2004, it did not look the way it looks now. Right. It's a little sketchier. Oh, my God. Was it a piece of shit? Yeah. And um, it was of Montreal. Oh, yeah. It It was four acts. And of Montreal, and it was just a revelation. It was so great because up until then, I really didn't have the kids were so small that it was like wheels on the bus go round and round, kill me now. I don't want to live, you know, nothing but that. So uh, it was just, it brought it all back to me. And, yeah. and just, and, and my younger daughter too has fantastic taste. Yeah. And you guys, and so the three of you, you're, you just have a great relationship with them. And do you, do you have you experienced this stuff where they're like, mom, stop being cool or are they Um, like yeah my mom's awesome i i think they feel both ways i think they are annoyed by me definitely and are definitely embarrassed by me but i think you know i just have to believe that when you share your music with someone else and they like it there's i mean that's got to feel great no matter who that person is and i know that i mean when i watched like rocky and bullwinkle with my parents and they laughed that felt great to me you know yeah. so if if you show something to your parents and they think it's good that's got to feel good i think it has to uh well it definitely did for me and my dad my dad got me into you know uh, pretty early because he had such a great taste in music. So I was sort of growing up with talking heads. And I remember when Midnight Oil came out and my dad wow, was a fan. And I was like, I don't know, this guy's voice is annoying. And then within <laughs> like a week, I was totally obsessed with them. So there was stuff that he liked before I did wow. that, um, that I was kind of snobby about. And then immediately, but yeah, just like loved Peter Gabriel, loved the police, yes. like loved all that kind of stuff. And then, um, and that sort of continued on as we've gotten older together. Uh, we both, you know, we both uh, have very similar taste in music still and are still kind of sending each other CDs that we burn and, and stuff like that. And I think it's a huge, it's a huge bonding piece and it's bonding you in ways that I don't even think I knew at the time because that, because you have such an emotional connection to music. But my older daughter also turned me on to comics way before they were hot, let alone, you know, I would have ever heard of them. I mean, yeah. Patton Oswalt, you know, when Dane Cook was still like his whole campaign was online. Yeah. He didn't have albums. You know, um, a lot of the really great comics, I found out about them through my daughter, Lena. 
she's really got incredible taste. And because she's so intellectually curious, she finds these people. She just trolls for people. And the people she picks become famous. It she's, sounds like she needs to come advise us with Sketchfest. Yeah, tell us who you're excited about, Lena, so we can have them at Sketchfest. Totally. Um, and also I wanted to say about Coachella is that you, on your website, LorraineNewman.com, have some wonderful photographs that oh, you've taken yes. of some of the people that we've talked about, um, some comics. I think there's a great picture of Zach. It's my camera was dying. I feel so bad, but yeah, is this, that was the little orphan Annie bit. It was so funny. There's oh great. There's some great photography on there. There. And then I also, um, a few months ago, you and I were speaking and you mentioned to me the kind of uh, joint articles that you and, and uh, Lena wrote about your experience together oh, yeah. at Coachella. And I cannot encourage you guys enough to check that out because it's a great, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to, to read Lorraine's account and then to read Lena's or start with Lena's and then read Lorraine's depending oh, on what you. your preference is. Um, but it's, it's cool. And it actually kind of talks about what we were just speaking of, which is that sort of balance between like mom and like, wait, my mom is really cool, but still mom. Oh wait, she's awesome. I mean, that's gotta be a really amazing balance to strike. And I'm hoping some moms are listening to this as well. Finding that balance between rigorously upholding rules and values that are no brainers and, and, and for you, no compromise. Like this is how it has to be. You, I, I'm sorry if you don't think it's fair, but then also being able to not be so authoritative that you don't have a really great emotional connection and a friendship with your kids. I feel like that must be really a, an amazing balance to strike. Well, you know, I'm lucky that my kids are reasonable human beings. I mean, some kids are just incorrigible and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, my kids are really great and they're really, you know, funny as hell um my younger daughter is hilarious but she has no interest in being a performer fine with me (laughs) you know um but sweet just really sweet and affectionate warm the only thing is my daughters don't get along and you know in Mm. this world where you know it takes a village and people are so spread out it's it's important that that siblings try to make a an effort because you know I'm an older parent and you know their their cousins are much older than they are and they really they're all each other has once me and my husband are gone so they really have got to you know figure it out um, this is bouncing way out of the ballpark that we've been uh, operating in. Maybe you don't operate in a ballpark, but I like to mix metaphors. Uh, but when you, because you've done so much voiceover work for such a long time, um, I'm did did the girls as they were when they were kids? Did they get to sort of have an awareness of you as a cartoon as well as a person in, in you know, film and television? The only show that I think really resonated with them was as told by Ginger. Because it was the only show that was written for tweens. And it was a girl that was a central character. And that show, because their, their, their contemporaries watched it. Um, now, you know, I don't think they're really, yeah, Fairly Odd Parents, they watch that. SpongeBob, they love. Um, I don't think they watch Metalocalypse. But I think the series that I do... Uh, of that, I was just told by Ginger, I think was the most meaningful one for them. 
How, did you did it find you voiceover or did you chase after it? Did you? Know I chased after it. I knew that was something I really wanted to do. And it. at the time that I started, <clears throat> which is almost twelve years ago now, it was maybe longer actually. Um, it was a really rarefied world, hard to break into. I was considered stunt casting because you know every once in a while they'd have a, a, a name on a show is stunt casting the way the Warner Brothers cartoons would or, or the Flintstones every once in a while. But, you know, people in voiceover can do amazing things that you just regular actors can't do. And I auditioned for two years before I got anything. And then after that, I worked all the time. And I love it. It's my real passion. I really enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, that really doesn't have anything to do with adolescence other than <laughs> reach for your dreams. Um, Lorraine, you have been an amazing guest. This I has tr- been so fun. It's been really fun. I, I've had such a good time. I really wanted your, one of your daughters to come on with you. Um, She's scared because she was afraid she'd say something really mean about me. That's understandable. I probably it could happen. Done, I wouldn't have done a podcast with my mom when I was <laughs> her age. In all fairness, uh, but I'm I'm I really appreciate you sharing your this your, is so fun your stories of adolescence and then also talking about what it's like to be a mom of teenage girls. This is sort of the seminal podcast because the it's agony and the ecstasy. Around. It's true. Um, any parting words to either moms or young women out there? No pressure. Oh. Um, well, I would just say that um, uh, we cherish you, our daughters, and um, we just love you like crazy. And we know that you love us, too. So every time that you think about how shitty you treated us, we know that you're sorry. Okay! <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you so much. Um, I already said Lorraine has an amazing website, but it's LorraineNewman.com. And you. she also does a ton of great live shows. So if you are in um, the LA area and, and beyond, actually, check out uh, her site because you can see her be amazing live. Thanks for being such an inspiration to me. Thank you, dear. We'll see you next time on the podcast. As always, the JV Club theme song is Before We Were Brittle, courtesy of the amazing Say Hi. Now leaving Nerdist.com.